Welcome back to the Love Your Story podcast. Today, I am here with Dr. Brenda Keller-Flight. And we're talking about a couple really important questions. Has your life turned out as you expected? Do you ever feel like things are totally out of your control? Are you overwhelmed, stuck, and ready to get your life back? So started the paragraph on Dr. Brenda's homepage. And since that very first question she poses is the exact same question as the one I posed on my pre-dissertation research study, you can imagine that once I read it, I wanted to hear what she had to say about, quote, has your life turned out as you expected? Brenda is the author of Time to Forgive and Forget. She's a certified professional coach and a qualified mediator. She is known for helping individuals and teams create their story and focus on what they want. There's no mistakes in her world. There are only mistakes. This means that we can learn forward and do another take, achieving the results we desire. Stay tuned for my interview with Dr. Brenda Keller-Flight and our discussion on point of poise and emotion addictions that influence our stories. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. So Brenda, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. You live in St. John's in Canada, and you're the owner of GDP Consulting. Are there any other personal details you'd like to share before we start picking your brain? I think the most important detail about me that's essential for your listeners to know is that I've learned through the school of hard knocks, as they say, that much of my learning has been academic, but it's also been through experience. And it's been, it's my experience that really helps me help my coaching clients. Awesome. So what I would love for you to do during this interview then is share the stories of those experiences and how they taught you the things that you're going to be teaching us today, because that's what we want is those stories. Loving yourself includes loving your story, accepting the things that your story has included. And often the obstacles we impose on ourselves start with our own stories and the things we haven't yet unraveled in our past. So can I start out here by asking you to share your thoughts on how we start to recognize old stories that are holding us back. I think life is a reflection of thought. Therefore, if we can step back and look at our lives and look at the people that we choose to bring into our inner circle and how functional or dysfunctional those relationships might be, we can really begin to see what our true internal story is saying. Mm. Well said. So when you're looking at that, you're looking at the people that are most, in the, well, like you say, the people that you're letting into your space. How are you suggesting that this reflects our thoughts? Let me give you an example. For part of my life, my father died when I was a very young child and I was the youngest of four and there was five years difference between myself and the next sibling. I always felt like an underdog. 
And therefore, I found myself attracted to other people who were living that same story. Mm. And when I began to step back and say, hold on now, how come I'm attracting those people into my life? Because I'm certainly not an underdog. When I began to really analyze my story, that's exactly the tape that was playing in my mind. That's why I was attracted to these people. And so once you recognize that, then what do you do? Well, then I began to step back and say, okay, what messages did I learn from my parents, from my siblings, from my teachers, from clergy, to group, from group leaders, from my friends? What, what did I learn? What messages did I pick up, whether they were intentionally meant for me or whether I just heard them or watched them in action? Yeah, what did you come up with for yourself? What I began to realize is that because your brain isn't fully grown until your mid to late 20s, I was interpreting many of the the things in my environment incorrectly. I was making assumptions that weren't correct. So let me give you an example. If I walked in the room and my mother and one of my siblings were talking and they stopped talking when I entered, I assumed they were talking about me. But they may have been talking about my siblings issue. They may have been talking about my parents issue. But I always made the assumption that it was about me. So my inability to problem solve and look at the options influenced how I interpret my environment how I interpreted the messages that were coming to me. So I talk about this from the perspective of the stories that we tell ourselves because they are so powerful. They come back to what you originally said, which is we create our realities, our perception of the world according to the stories that we have going on in our minds. And those stories are absolutely the creations of just like you said, your perspective of your mom and your siblings stop talking and it's, you know, private time between them when it could be any, any number of things. And I love that you're bringing this up because this concept of being able to be aware that our first perception of a situation is not always, even the most obvious perception of a situation can be completely off kilter because there are so many other options. Definitely. Absolutely. So what is point of poise? Well, very often I found as a younger person, I would strive for happiness. I would strive to be calm. I would strive to be what everyone else wanted me to be. So I was striving for something. So I saw emotions as either good or bad. Sadness is not good. You know, anger isn't good, happiness is good, calmness is good. So I had everything put on places on a continuum as being good or bad. What I begin to realize is that emotions are information. They're designed to help us determine where we are at the present moment, where we want to be, and how we can nudge ourselves from where we are to that place. So if I'm addicted to happiness, that can be just as troublesome as if I'm addicted to poor me. How so? If I'm happy because I have a new car, then all of a sudden when the luster wears off my new car, then I might want a new television. And when the luster wears off my new television, I want to go shopping for new clothes because I'm constantly striving for this this absolute feeling of happiness. If I take it and I say, okay, I'm not 
attached to happiness or sadness or their emotions, their information, then I can say, okay, I can center myself. So if you look at sadness as one and happiness as a 10, I don't want to be a one and I don't want to be a 10. I just want to be centered at a five so I can accept what is. I can accept what is and look at it as information that's trying to help me grow, that's helping to help me mature, that's helping me to see things from my perspective, from other people's perspectives. So what I'm striving for is the, the center point. So that if you think of yourself as a tree and you're a tree and that you're balanced, your roots are well into the earth. If you watch the tree in a storm, it will sway from one side to the other, but it's roots, it's so rooted, it will always come to the center. So I want to find that center point, that point where I can just let things be. I can observe things without reacting, without feeling bad about myself, without judging other people, and where I can find calmness, just things just are. It's so a great place. Where does this idea of point of poise come from? I, I know it's yours. I haven't heard it from anyone else but you. So it's, it's a phrase that you've coined. Where does it come from? Was it just something that you sort of noticed and so you picked up and put it together? Or tell us a little more about it. Well, I, I'm not sure I coined it. I, I guess I've been coaching and doing things for so many years. I'm not sure where anything comes from and sort of what's mine. They always say the old adage that there's nothing new in the universe. Yeah. I kind of believe that. So uh, I've done so much work about just finding your balance, just being in balance. And if you notice, if, if you think of a weight scale, the point of poise is when everything is in the center, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The center, everything on each side weighs equally. So you find that the centering. And when I found people like who meditate, people who, who are constantly doing centering exercises, mm -hmm. I began to realize that they were finding this point, this center point, that didn't require them to judge anything. I don't have to judge whether this is bad or I don't have to judge whether this is good. I can just let it be. And that's what I call the point of poise. Okay, so I am not as advanced along this line here. And so my first thought as you discuss this with me is, but I really do want to be happy all the time. I don't want to be in the middle. I want to be, uh, you know, always striving for happiness and knowing that I can control the stories in my head that are going on. So if I'm creating stories that are making me unhappy, if I'm, you know, repeating and even making up interpretations of events and they're making me unhappy, I have control over that. And I always want to be doing and creating stories that are actually supporting and helping me to be happy. And I have control over those stories. But I definitely know that I want to be happy. So I see, I see the value in the, in the balance idea, in the meditation, in this peaceful, even you know, in the idea of letting go and letting be for sure. But the idea of being somewhere between happy and sad and that being okay, I'm not sold on that. Help me, help me understand that better. So let me look at it this way. If you're balanced, if you're in balance and you're in your point of poise, mm -hmm. then when you're happy, you recognize I'm happy, but I don't have to attach myself to anything to be happy. I can just be happy and I can experience the now. And if I'm feeling sad, I don't need to make up a story about sadness. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling sad in the moment and I will nudge myself to a place where I can be centered. I don't, I don't think sadness is bad. 
I don't think happiness is bad. I don't think any emotion is bad. It's what we do with the emotion. So if, if I'm attached to happiness and all of a sudden I have my credit cards on bus, I always have to have the new thing. I always have to be the center of attention to be happy. Mm-hmm. Then I'm being addicted to things that really aren't healthy for me. So there are times when sadness is okay. Happiness is great. It's all, it's all good. Mm-hmm. And it's allowing ourselves to be in the now. Stories are of the past. Mm. And once we are attaching a story to something, we're attaching ourselves to the past. Once we center ourselves, we're allowing, we're allowing ourselves to be in the now. And if that's a bit sad, that's okay. But we're not, we're not going to stay stuck there because there's going to be another now and another moment. So we can move forward with our lives without having those stories or those tapes playing in our heads that make us miserable. So what's the best way to be able to do that? How do you guide your people to the point of poise? One of the tools I use is I get people to take their story because it's a story of the past and I get them to use a technique I call pivoting. So with pivoting, I will get them to stand up and face one direction, say face north, and I'll say, okay, tell your story. However, and they'll say, I'm miserable, you know, and my family doesn't do this. I don't have the money to go on a vacation. And they'll tell a story. And I'll say, okay, now turn south and tell that story as if it's totally positive. So they may turn south and they may say, well, I don't have the money to go. I don't have money to go on a vacation. So I'll do a staycation. I'll stay home and I'll find things that I can do. I'll, I'll visit restaurants or visit museums that I haven't seen at home. So there are positive things that I can do. I can spend time with my friends. Then I'll get them to turn west and I'll say, okay, if a good friend was listening to you and your good friends was listening to the story, oh, I'm miserable, I can't afford to go on a vacation, whatever, what would your good friend say to you? Then I'll get them to turn east and I'll get them to say, okay, if your good friend told you your story, what would you, how would you help your good friend? How would you support that person? How would you help that person problem solve? So by the time they pivot in all four directions, usually most people come back to me and they say, I never thought of that. I never thought of this before. I was just so stuck and being miserable. I just couldn't move from it. I love that. And I love the physical part of it too, because not only are you engaging, you're creating, actively creating a new story, but you're physically moving your body and and making that a physical and a mental transition. And people pull themselves out. I don't have to do anything. They pull themselves out of their story. That's an awesome tool. So how does loving your story and learning go hand in hand as you've watched your clients? I think loving your story, I think every story, no matter how dramatic or how sad or how angry it might be, it's there because there's something we need to learn. There's, mm. We need to move to the next phase of our life. So if we can look at that point as a gift, it's coming from the past. It's a gift from the past. So we don't want to take it into the present or the future. So therefore, what is the lesson we want to take from it? What is the love? How do we want to love our story? So for example, if I had a mother that was extremely critical of me, then what's the lesson that mother has given me that I can take into the future? So a person might say, well, I won't, I won't be as critical in staff meetings, or I, I'll learn to be problem solved with my children. I won't be as angry or raise my voice when they speak. Mm. So people begin to love their story by knowing that once they learn the lesson from the story, 
the story holds no more importance. They can move forward. Oh, that is so interesting. I really like your tools. Tell us a little bit about your book, Time to Forgive and Forget. How does that play into all of this? Well, I find that we get caught up either in our own story or in the stories of our friends and family. Sure. And it's those stories that cause us to react. So, for example, if you're telling me a terrible story, then I can leave you feeling absolutely terrible. Even though it had absolutely nothing to do with me, I still feel terrible. So the book is a story. It's basically, I'm in a, a, a silent retreat in Thailand, which I've never been, by the way, even though lots of people write me and say, have you ever been to Thailand? No, I, but if you're going, you can take me. <laughs> and it's talking about some of the issues that people face that I consider are quite normal. For example, one of the chapters is about being alone in a crowd. I'm in the spa, I'm listening to people talk, and I'm listening to this lady talk about how miserable she was going to this party. She walked in, her spouse goes off talking to his buddies, and she doesn't know anybody in the room. So I use her story. If I were talking, here are the tools I would offer this person so they wouldn't have to feel this way the second time around, the next time they go to a party. So it's a story, it's, you're hearing people's stories, but then you're learning the tools that you can use to overcome those patterns, should you be experiencing those patterns. Okay, so what did you tell her? Like, what would be a retake on her difficult story? Okay, so one of the, the examples in this book, I said, okay, one of the tools I use with my clients is SWOT. And if you've ever done any strategic planning, it's called strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So before you go, come up with questions that you could ask anyone else in the room. So I might ask a person under strengths, like, do you know everybody at this party? Do you work with this person? You know, if I know the person is engaged with a certain activity, I understand you're a member of, and I begin to bring out that person's, you know, that person's strengths. Mm. Under weaknesses, I'd say, you know, do you like cocktail parties or do you like skating parties? And they might say, no, I hate them. And that gives me the opportunity. You know, uh, what are your greatest concerns for 2018? You know, I understand companies are closing down in your area. Would that impact you? So I will talk about things that I've thought about in advance. Under opportunities, I'd say, what are your hopes? What are your goals you've set for this year? Or I might say, are you planning on taking any special holidays this year? I will ask about their opportunities. I might ask them about job opportunities, depending on who, who I'm speaking with and what they've told me about themselves. Threats, I'll usually talk to them about their concerns. I might say, they told me they have a child going off to university. I might say, does that concern you? What are your concerns about your daughter or your son going off to university? So I'll come up with three or four questions in each area. I'll school them in how to do that in various settings. So then they have an opportunity. So that's one tool. Another tool is to ask the host of the party who invited her to say, you know, would you mind introducing me to a couple of people? Because I don't know many people here. Would you mind just starting me off here? Mm. So I give, uh, you know, probably there's eight or 10 tools in there that I take people through to help them so that they have the skills. Because once you learn the skills, you can do anything. Sure. So you're doing problem solving with them so that when they're in that situation, again, they have other options besides sitting there and building a negative story about their situation. Exactly. So we have things like 
buried alive how many people do you know that are just overwhelmed with with life in general between work and family and home and responsibility so i give them tools for creating the balance for problem solving through that in your own story what have been your greatest learning moments can you share some of those stories with us Yes, I think the greatest learning moment for me was uh, realizing that I had to stop blaming others. Hmm. That I had to start taking responsibility. Uh, as the old saying goes, it takes two to tango. Right. And my tendency was to see other people's faults. And I learned to step back and say, okay, I'm going to assume for me that I'm 100% the cause of this situation. Because I knew if I started with 50, I'd go back to blaming. So I pushed myself to the other end of the bar and said, okay. And then I began to see that there were things I could modify in my own, the way I dealt with things and the way I questioned things. Let me give you an example. So if I didn't like what someone was doing, I might say, you know, I, I don't really like the way you're doing that. Now I would say, what was your intention when you chose to do it that way? So I began to give other people a voice. So how did you become aware that you were doing this? What's the story behind you making this discovery and deciding to change it? I think it was when I began to realize that, that my mind, and I'm not sure anyone said anything, that my mind always went to blaming another person. You know, I didn't have a good time because this person did. Mm. This would have been better if that person had have done something else. And I begin to realize, are all these people that bad? I mean, am I really the, the perfect person in this room? You know, is that possible? So I think it was the realization that I'm not, I'm not, as you would put it, happy. I'm not centered. I'm on the unhappy side of the scale. So if I'm on the unhappy side of the scale, then I got to look at me in order to move myself and nudge myself somewhere else on the scale. I love that you were self-aware enough and also intelligent enough to say, okay, this is what I'm doing, instead of being defensive about it, being open-minded enough about where you are at to say, what do I need to do to actually adjust this? And then trying a few things to figure it out. That's lovely. Thank you. Were there emotional addictions that you had to work through? I know that this idea of emotional addiction is something that you talk about. Can you tell us a little about that? Yes. I think what happens is there's in event and if we're carrying old stories that are bothering us then with those stories there's a theme so let me give you an example i remember as a young child cleaning off my bureau it was my time to clean off my bureau i did i spent ages cleaning the bureau and then my sister came in and she didn't like anything i did and she would tell my mother i did a terrible job and i was devastated that all my hard work was so unappreciated and I began to realize that when events happen in our life, as small children, because our brains are not fully developed, we create a story around them. So I developed this sense of failure, you know, that it's so easy to fail. So I developed a sense of perfectionism because I feared failure. I think for most people, we have emotional addictions like fear of abandonment. So if we don't get invited to the party, if we're not included, we get upset by it. We have a fear of failure. We know we have a, a fear of being abandoned. We have a fear of not having enough money. We have fears that have come from somewhere. 
And then we get addicted to other things to compensate. Now as children, having those, that's wonderful because we don't have the problem solving ability. But as adults, they interfere. So now, for example, if someone comes at me too strongly and I can feel this sense in my gut, oh heavens, then I know that my fear of failure is triggered. Now, rather than reacting negatively or as strongly as the other person did, I can now in my head take that moment between the event and the response and say, okay, that's my fear of addiction. I'm not going to react to that person. I'm going to calmly respond. Mm, Okay. So if somebody has a fear of, let's say, not having enough money, what does that generally look like and how would they navigate around it? They may be very focused on success. They may become workaholics. They may be constantly looking for approval. They're like, can you tell me I'm doing an excellent job? So what will happen is that they will neglect, they can neglect relationships in order to have the money and the success they need. Mm. So there are multiple, you'll see multiple patterns arising. What I would do then is help the person create balance. And I would talk to them about what does it mean creating balance for their body, their mind, and their spirit? What does it mean in their world? How does that change their fear though? Because when they become to realize, they say, okay, I'm working 16 hours a day and I never see my children, then I can really start to, maybe I can work 15 hours a day and spend one hour with my children when they're going to bed. I can make small adjustments so that over time, the small adjustments, I can keep increasing those adjustments until I come back to what I consider a good balance in my life. Mm. So we begin to help people to like if I fear abandonment and every time my friends don't include me in going into a movie or something and all they're doing is thinking I'm too busy rather than getting upset and, and, you know, wallowing in my sadness, but not getting invited, then I can make a little adjustment. Okay. You know, you didn't invite me Lori to the, to the movie. You know, what were you thinking? And you come back and you say, well, you know, you told me that you're overwhelmed and your kids got everything on this weekend. So I thought it was best not to bother you with that. So it doesn't destroy relationships. So we begin to give people little tools, not to make great shifts, but to make little shifts until they're comfortable. Then they can make another little shift until they come back in balance. Mm, That's nice. Thank you, Brenda. In closing, regarding this whole subject, what, what final words would you have about the things that you study and the things that you understand that my listeners might want to know? Well, I think the best thing that you can ever say is what you say constantly is love your story. The minute you hate your story or embarrassed by your story or feel you're going to be judged by your story, you're giving other people your power. It's your story. Love it. Embrace it. Learn the lessons from it. Be sad about it if you have to be. But keep your power. Stay in your center. Keep your power and keep moving forward. Because your story only happened in order to help you learn, in order to help you move forward. It's your friend. Embrace it as your friend. Oh my gosh, that's such a good conclusion. <laughs> Yay! You've, you've added a couple things in there that I hadn't thought about before or included in Love Your Story, which is that idea of, of not giving your power away, the idea of finding your balance in, with your story. Um, those are really nice additions. Thank you. You're welcome. If people want to get your book, Time to Forgive and Forget, or get a hold of you for any personal coaching, where can they go to find that? 
Well, the book itself was published by Balboa Press, so it's available through them or on Bar through Barnes & Noble, through Chapters or Amazon. So the book is pretty easy. All you have to do is type in Time to Forgive and Forget. I own a company. It's called GDP Consulting, you know, like gross domestic product consulting kind of thing, but GDP doesn't stand for that in my case. But if you write info at gdpconsulting.ca, then, and I coach via Skype, Zoom, FaceTime, telephone. I do all kinds of things. I love my clients and I love the, the success that they achieve. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your expertise and your wonderful insights. We appreciate you. Thank you, Lori, so much. Head to the Love Your Story website, www.loveyourstorypodcast.com to comment on this episode or to access the show notes where you can get more information and links to Dr. Brenda Keller Flight's website and book. And your challenge for this week is to consider if there are any emotional addictions or places where you're not quite on your point of poise and if there are any of those in your life that maybe you'd like to let go of. If so, what tiny moves or adjustments that you can make to find that space of balance for you in your story? Thanks for being here this week. We will see you next week for the next episode. And don't forget all the goodies that are on the website. You've got the 21-day challenge you can sign up for, the free audio book, The Key to Your Super Self, How Our Stories Unlock Your Superpower, Go over to the website to make comments. If you will subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, I would absolutely love it. Truly appreciate the reviews that are going up and all the support from the listeners. Appreciate you a lot. We'll see you next week.